contains little to no explicit material, it is sprinkled with some uncensored swears. Listener discretion is advised. like skin pray for evenings in hold their hands in the street when you walk them off to school a box too full to shut a cardboard paper cut the bleeding edge of a picture of your parents when they were cool so much to say i forget to start there goes a day fading as it passes Forget the gray, let it fall apart It's okay, I like you in glasses Hey everyone, Merry Christmas. Merry, yeah. cr- Merry Christmas. Um, this episode is my fault, I- I'm gonna take credit for that The Omniplex is open Not for suggesting this episode, but for having a life so unbelievably chaotic That we are covering a Nutcracker movie for Easter it's still it's still the Jeebus, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, this movie seems like proof of something else. So I think I think Jesus might be uncredited in this one, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, everyone on set kept saying, "Jesus Christ, why am I here?" Mm-hmm. He's like, "I don't know, bro. You got the you got yourself into this." Yeah. Yes. Today we're going to be looking at the Nutcracker in 3D, or the Nutcracker: The Untold Story, the uh, 2009 box office bomb. What a disaster this was! I want to ask our audience: Do you remember this one? Like, do you remember the vague recollection of hearing that it's going to come out and then never hearing about it again? Oh no, I remember the reviews. <laughs> Oh, likewise. Really? And it was the reviews that deep in, in a young Zephyr's mind, I'm just like, ooh, I should put this on my radar. Just put <laughs> it on my watch list. And here we are. It's a cliche to say it, but, you know, this is one where Ebert's review is just all-time classic. He went after this movie with rage. I forgot this was a time when he was alive. Yes, yes. it was. Yeah, he only gave it one star, but I think he could have gone way harder in his review. Yeah, which is really saying something because uh, yeah, his review is not a nice review. Um, this is a movie that is... I'm going to start with a question that I'm going to ask you all, and this is something I wanted to open the cast with, which is, can anybody name a successful movie version of The Nutcracker? Uh... And, and I'm going to say right now, Fantasia doesn't count. I wasn't even thinking of that one. Hmm. On honestly, I'm I'm gonna say no. Me either. I haven't seen Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Uh, that one is notoriously awful. Um, <sighs> the Disney. Okay, let me just say Disney has attempted to do the Nutcracker many times. Yes, there's Fantasia, which mostly uses the music and not the imagery, and then there. Albert said the Nutcracker in the Four Realms, but Disney also tried a couple of times in between then. Yeah. Most Mm -hmm. notably, uh, the 1991 
adaptation, Mickey's Nutcracker, which was a live stage show, but also got a rarely seen television special, which includes Chippendale, Tigger, uh, Roger Rabbit, a rat king that raps. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, uh, 1991 rap. Okay. Yep. But <laughs> worse, worse. Okay. Which character was rapping again? The Rat King. It's better than this. Oh, God. I'm the Rat King. I'm here to say I'm going to fuck up your shit in a major way. Yeah, the rhyme scheme. It, yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. And then they did a, an animated adaptation as part of the House of Mouse television series, which. <laughs> Separately as an episode, and then later lumped in into Mickey's Magical Christmas Snowden at the House of Mouse, the direct-to-video House of Mouse Christmas special. Yeah. A couple of other versions that are of note. Um, the Nuttiest Nutcracker. The Nuttiest Nutcracker. You've got the 1993 um, film version of uh, George Valentine's version, which is... I mean, given anything that you know about Valentine after this, um, yeah, look him up. He's not, he was not a good man. It was, uh, so you've got that version, which is um, with Macaulay Culkin in a small role, which is notoriously just basically unwatchable. Carol Ballard took an attempt with a Maurice Sendak designed uh, version. I've never heard it was very good. There's the Care Bears Nutcracker Suite. There is yep. a... The ninety one, the nineteen ninety, the Nutcracker Prince, uh, Canadian animated movie. Yeah, with uh, Phyllis Diller. Apparently, she did two versions of the Nutcracker because it was this one and then the Nuttiest Nutcracker as the Sugar Plum Fairy. It's weird that it happened twice. It's weird that it happened twice. What gets me about all these versions is that they fundamentally give away a very important thing. There is no story here to be told. There it's is not adaptable. It's not adaptable. What mm -hmm. people like about it, fundamentally, I think the only thing that's actually good about the Nutcracker is the, is the Tchaikovsky music, which is all-time classic. Great. And I get that. That and there's also another big thing. Christmas movies are an annuity. If you make a hit Christmas movie, you will make money for the rest of your life because people will go back to it if it's a hit. Now, the thing that people forget is Christmas movies bomb so horribly. Um, you're rarely going to have a scenario like in 2003 where on, this is true, on the same day, Love Actually and Elf came out in America on the same day. I did not realize that. Huh. Uh, I'd actually seen Love Actually a week earlier at a sneak preview. Was that um, the last, like, iconic Christmas movie? Like, the one that everybody goes back to? I'm talking about either or. I think that both of those are kind of the last time that Anybody really got it dead to rights? No, the Polar Express was uh, the next year. Uh, yeah, yes. people still look back on that with fondness, yeah. I, I like fondness it. Fondness or I'm... abject terror. With all the dead eyes, yes. I'm sorry, I like it. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, it's <laughs> It's okay. It's pretty. But yeah, this sounds pretty bad. Um, but anyway, getting yeah. back, beginning to this. Um, yeah, it's, it is actually not bad. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to get to one. So let's get to this one, which is bad. Zephyr. You know more about Konchalovsky than I do, so... Slightly I'm, I'm more than... Slightly more. Yeah. Yes. Is that the director? Yes. Mm, gotcha. Uh, yep, Andrei Konchalovsky. Um, 
even though we're going to be talking about what is ostensibly his largest bomb to date, it's he's done a lot of work. He's won a number of awards, primarily at like the larger film festivals like Venice and uh, yeah, primarily Venice. But uh, he got his start primarily by teaming up with none other than Andrei Tarkovsky, the famed Soviet director. Um, he was initially credited as a writer in small parts and an actor in Tarkovsky's debut film, Ivan's Childhood, which is a look at uh, wartime PTSD through the eyes of a child. Very cool. And he also would go on to provide the script for Andrei Rublev, the uh, 205-minute uh, epic. Widely considered his masterpiece. One of his masterpieces. One of, that's the thing, yeah. Tarkovsky has a lot, but that's the one that I almost always hear. is like, that's the one that people are like, if you only see one, it's that mm. or Stalker or yes. Solaris. God, yes. he really Stalker. did some great work. Stalker and Solaris are absolutely great films. Yeah, Tarkovsky is someone to look up. Yeah. I'm, is this the... Um, am I thinking of the right movie? There was an original and a remake. Uh, the yeah. remake had George Clooney in it? Yes. That's Solaris, yes. And okay. the, the remake is... The remake is very... Dis- the remake is very distinctly a Steven Soderbergh film, is what I would oh, say. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. And a very good film at that. It's It's a phenomenal film, actually. Okay, yeah. 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 So, See, we're giving you a lot of movies you can watch instead of this today. That's mm-hmm. our kindness to you. Yeah. That's our that's our brand, really. <laughs> here's movies you can watch instead of this. And, <laughs> and here's some info about this. Yeah, he like aside from that really great start, he's like his other films of note would be uh Tango and Cash and Runaway Train. From the 80s, but... Let's not undersell Runaway Train. That was a movie that had a very long... Like, it's cast a long shadow. It was... Both the lead actors were nominated for Oscars for it. And uh, it's it's one that was very influential. I mean, it's based on original screenplay by the Kurosawa, so... But yeah, otherwise, he hasn't had much of note... Until this. Until this. And this was, I'm going to say something that I want y'all to just, this is the saddest thing I can picture. This was his passion project. This was something mm. that he was passionate about getting made. This was a dream movie for him, was he wanted to turn The Nutcracker into a musical. This was something he was passionate about. That's really funny, because one of my points I was going to bring up was, this is barely a musical. No, no, this was something he was passionate about getting made. 20 years. 20, yes. He worked on it for 20 years, only for it to come out as just a wet fart. Um, I was going to say, you all know the story of the Nutcracker, but that would be a joke. Let's, I, I want to point out real quick that this movie has an almost impossible cast for a movie this bad. It does. <laughs> I was scrolling through before we recorded just for a refresher because it's been three or four months and every turn is kind of like a, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. What are you doing here? Nathan Lane, you're, you're an accomplished, you know, theater presence. What are you doing here? 
Chantatora while you were in Transformers 2, but still it's yeah. no excuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Elle Fanning, just at the absolute beginning of her really starting to break away and get roles where she wasn't just being hired because her sister was unavailable. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's someone who has had such a prolific, ambitious career. I'm going to be much nicer to her than, frankly, the work deserves because, I mean, she's not very good in this, but that's on the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know that she would emerge into an absolute, well, hell, just a couple years later, you would have Super 8 where she would just yes. devastate. She's great in that. Mm-hmm. And that's a great movie, so... It's excellent. This is... My God, this movie is... I'm, 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 so, yes, you got her... Um, even in some of the smaller parts, Richard E. Grant is in this, and that pissed me off, weirdly enough, because he's one of those actors for whom, in America, he's never really been as well-known as he should be. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that people would most know him for in America is uh, he was in The Rise of Skywalker. Hmm. Um, with Nail and I is a legendary work. Um, Who is he in Rise, Rise of Skywalker? I'm not familiar. He is he's he's one of the first order villains. He was uh, the classic Loki in Loki. Hmm. Uh, okay. Brilliant All right. Comic actor and also one of the most upbeat presences on Twitter. Hmm. God, I just. Ugh. He he's in this as her father, and he has nothing to do. And then, of course, you know, yeah, Totoro. I'm gonna be, ooh, I'm gonna be holding my tongue. But um, yeah. and the yeah. same for Lane. Those two are going to be held accountable for what they've done. The, but so yeah, uh, even like the uh, the Rat King's mother is uh, Frances Delatour, who is one of those actresses that you don't know her by name, but when you look up her filmography, you'll instantly recognize everything she's done. Super prolific character actress. She was in Alice in Wonderland at about the same time as this, the Tim Burton one. Mm-hmm. She was, that's more dignified than this. Mm. Confession that I actually kind of like that movie a little bit. So, but, you know, anyway, moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let, let's start with the arrival of Nathan Lane's character. As, as it's, we're bearing the lead here, but it's, as Albert fucking Einstein. Yes. In, nut, in Nutcracker. Albert Einstein played as if he were a mentally disabled, just unbelievably childlike. I mean, I hate to use these terms, but this is exactly what I thought. He was a simpleton. The way Nathan Lane approaches Albert Einstein is a caricature of German-Austrian people of the time. And, of course, he would later revisit that in the remake of uh, The Producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The movie version of that was around that time, wasn't it? It was, it was, it was a few years. It was 2005 was when that one came out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. That was an earlier cast. Yeah. But I find it weird that it's this one and the House of Mouse Nutcracker adaptation that both feature a German persona that breaks the fourth wall. Which is, it is weird. Like, House of Mouse got away with it because it could. It's, you know. This is annoying. Yeah, and absolutely unnecessary. I I want to point out that I have loaded up um, Angels in America uh, to listen to at some point in the next couple of weeks, uh, which Lane was in. 
uh, the, the Broadway performance. I am looking forward to that. Lane is a fantastic actor, but every choice that he makes in this movie is staggeringly awful. I, I, like, I just can't express enough how bad he is in this movie. It's the kind of performance that only a truly good actor could, could make, because only a truly good actor could get away with it. And yet, and yet. And yet, we'll, we'll, get, to the, we'll get to the worst performance. I'm sorry, did you say Niet? <laughs> Zephyr said, sorry. and yet. Still. I know. I know. <laughs> it's joke. <laughs> it's joke, yes. This. <laughs> God, I wish I was watching Borat instead. Like, it, it's bad enough that Albert Einstein is written into the story, but also Freud. Yep. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's in there. Why? Yeah, and that's very. That's no. No. <laughs> but but it's important that he be in that uh, Einstein be in this so that the Sugar Plum Fairy Waltz could be turned into a song about relativity. Yes, which has absolutely nothing to do with the theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. Or the and Nutcracker. Or the, the Nutcracker. nutcracker. Let, yeah. Let, let's just pause. Let Let's pause for a moment to acknowledge that the lyricist for this was Tim fucking Rice. I, oh, when, no. I did not remember that he had worked on the songs. So when I watched the movie, I spent the whole time thinking, whoever this lyricist is, they're terrible, they are not good at their job, and they shouldn't work again. When I saw that it was Rice, I almost, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, because <laughs> this, is, this is the man that wrote Circle of Life. Man, he phoned this one in. <laughs> Vita. This is not to say that he's not a bad one night in Bangkok for the love of God. This is a man that as a, that as lyricist go is about as good as it ever got. I don't know. Y'all haven't listened to the Rick Wakeman concept album of 1984. Mm-mm. He could be very bad. I will grant you <laughs> like, as this is proof. It's just that when he was good again, circle of life, that's what that, <laughs> Probably my favorite song in the entire Disney canon. And I mean, his work with Disney is just iconic. His work, I, I think his work with Elton John on uh, the road to El Dorado is wildly underrated, too. I didn't know either of them worked on that one. Yeah. There's a movie that deserves so much more love. God, that's what I hear. <laughs> you want to watch a good movie? Watch that. That's that's basically a Kevin Klein, Kenneth Branagh buddy comedy. Hmm. It's awesome. Oh, and... It has a lot of gay undertones that everybody making it has said, yeah, we, 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 we meant that. We meant that shit. Mm. Well, that's funny. It's good. It's real good. Um, <laughs> God, this movie. So, yes. So, yes, it's Tim Rice that did the lyrics. Yeah, he's, 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 he's lost here. And it's partially because, guess what? Tchaikovsky's music doesn't lend itself to, it doesn't lend itself to musical numbers. It really doesn't. It's written for a specific purpose. It lends mm-hmm. itself great to ballet. Doesn't lend itself to this. Yeah, that's that's what I mean when I say barely a musical because the musical song, the musical numbers are like kind of few and far between, and they don't feel like musical numbers. Just mm-hmm. it feels like they're singing to the background music. It really does because I, these uh, the nut the original Nutcracker doesn't have lyrics, right? It's just no, the music. not at all. 
Yeah, that's what it's written for, and you can definitely tell that it was never, ever meant to have lyrics. It's really weird. It's really weird. I can't even... Uh, I'm not, not going to trash the Tchaikovsky music, because it oh. is as great as classical music ever. God, it's, yeah, it's if, thunderous. It's if, iconic. There's a reason it's in our cultural DNA. It's great. That's why, that's why me when I say I feel like they're just, they're just singing over it. So it's like a, you have this great music under it, and then you're just, you're, you're, splat, you're splashing finger paint on the Mona Lisa. And it, I got to point out that Konchalovsky cannot direct a musical number to save his life. I think that might also be a contributor. Shouldn't this movie have a lot more dance? Shouldn't it have a lot more? This is the direction on this movie. Mm -hmm. is thudding. It's very, well, we're going to do a stationary shot. It's, there's more ballet in Paul Thomas Anderson's direction than there is in this, which isn't actually an insult. Anderson is really good at that kind of thing. But he is, you know yes. I, mean. mm -hmm. I know exactly what you mean. This is just, the camera is so stationary in a lot of these shots. Um, so, I mean, we can explain the story very vaguely in that, okay, what, there's, Girl gets a nutcracker. Nutcracker turns out to be a uh, cursed prince. Um, uh -huh. He's a real been, boy. He's, a, he's been cursed by the Rat King and his mother, blah, 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 chosen one. She has to help him overthrow the Rat King. All this, you know. So the Rat King is trying to wipe out um, toys and uh, joy in the world. And the rats are trying to take over and blot out the sun so that darkness can reign and they can rule. Blah, blah, blah. That's the story. I could not have given less of a shit about this movie's plot. Now imagine all that with the mo with some of the most horrifying CG you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, I think I, I, think I sent screenshots to both of you. <laughs> yes. We're going to have to have some screenshots up with this Absolutely. Uh, blog entry. Because this is a movie that you can tell there was money in it. 90 million. I will say this. I could see the 90 million on the screen. I will give it that. It looks expensive. It also looks like expensive shit. If I eat $90 million in gold, my shit's going to glitter. It's still going to be shit. And there's my graphic image for the day. The, like, I don't know. Actually, not so much. I don't know. It's more like I cannot recall for the life of me why he went with a steampunk-ish aesthetic for the Nutcracker. Probably uh, because that was big at the time. Oh, yeah, we've got to address how bad the Nutcracker himself looks. Oh, and the, unbelievable, and the unbelievably bad decision that they make with the character. He which is maybe 80% of the horrifyingness of the movie. Like, it's visually. <laughs> it's this uh, wide-eyed monstrosity. Blended with live action. <laughs> They don't even go with the classic design. They choose this. They choose a design designed to scare the shit out of children. Although, I will say, if they did try to use like the the horrifying CG with the original design, it would have been just as scary. I think. I think so, but it's still it's still pretty bad. They though. also make a decision that is just you want to pull to the side. And go, why did you do this? Which is. When he is a real boy, he's played by a little boy the right age. Uh -huh. When he is a nutcracker, he is played by actress Shirley Henderson, best known as Moaning Myrtle in the Turf oh. Queens movies. Oh, okay. Yes. 
I didn't tie that until now. So the fact that you have him switching between a little boy who, based on this movie, is a perfectly competent actor and could have done yeah. the voice work. He's totally fine. fine, yeah. But instead, when he's the Nutcracker, it's a grown woman unbelievably poorly imitating a little boy. It is, it's, it's wretched. It's a, it's a little boy with emphysema is what it is. You're a soldier. What rank are you? Captain. Captain Max, do you want to join the fight against the Rat Kingdom? Yes! And that's the thing, she doesn't even sound anything like the actor that plays. It's like, you could have just mm-hmm. had him dub it all the way through. That would have been fine. Yeah. I would not have minded. It was my city before the Rat King took it from me. His mother turned me into a wooden nutcracker. And then he released his army into the city center. But again, this whole movie is nothing but bad decisions. And yeah, the CGI on the nutcracker is horrible, but it but it isn't the worst CGI. There's the other animals in the movie that are the monkey is borderline racist. The other animals, there's a really weird, like, racist feeling going through the other animals. Can we talk about the token black kid? Yeah, let's talk about the token black kid. A.K.A. the little drummer boy. Yeah. That's racist as shit. His head gets pulled off. I think that's at that moment that uh, I feel like the film turns. Yeah. and, And already, like... What the hell is happening? But then yeah. it's until that it's like a you know it's like a um you start to get used to it and then his head gets pulled off like yep. it's not terribly graphic and like a you know it's, ah blood it's still a lot yeah it's still a lot and it's like a like he's supposed to be like a toy and that's the thing like it's it's like a you know this toy is broken kind of thing but still like a oh that's his head this movie is. Just, he also has a break dancing number, and then there's yes. the Nazi imagery. But we'll come, ac- we'll come back to that. I feel like uh, the Rat King stuff is going to be like our climax for the episode. Yes, absolutely. That's a preview of things to come. But anyway, so I feel like that's where the film turns from, like just like uh, to ah ah ah. And can we also one thing I want to point out here real quick, and this is just a minor note. Can we note how poorly the movie handles the pantomime tradition of quote-unquote the actors in one world being the actors in the other? They kind of do it with the Sugar Plum Fairy and uh, the Rat King's mother also being people reflected in the real world. Like a, like a like uh, ju- like the Jumanji sort of thing? Yeah, and, and also sort of like uh, Peter Pan. Uh, yeah. You know, of course, the movie that did this the all-time best Bizarrely enough, it's an American film, um, Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There, there was a movie that handled it perfectly. Also, good God, the fact I'm thinking about the Wizard of Oz when I'm thinking of this movie. Yeah, My, minus you know, like the horrors that happen with production. But, you know, that's also early film pre-regulation. <laughs> but that's the thing. This movie, it doesn't feel like it was made by people that had even the slightest clue what they were doing. It really mm-hmm. doesn't. It, it really does not. Every decision that this movie makes is just, yeah, they don't commit to the, as I said, they don't commit to the 
trope of, okay, the people, it doesn't commit to it. Uh, another movie that did this well was uh, Peter Pan, with the father also being Captain Hook. Mm. Ah, uh, yeah. The 2003 one. The 2003. Which was great. Oh, okay. Which was great, because then you got a double performance by Jason Isaacs, who was great. Mm-hmm. <sighs> this movie is just, anyway, I know I said we were going to make this the climax. Can we just go ahead and get into the Rat King stuff? Because I feel like that's going to be 80% of what we wanted to talk about. Oh, I do have to make one point. The actress that played the Sugar Plum Fairy is atrocious. She She's really not very good. Gee, I wonder how she got the part. Anybody care to guess? Anybody want to take a wild uh, guess how she got cast? She was a relative of uh, one of the people, like Close. producer. Close. Producer director. Um, relative, relative of the producer. Relative of the director, indeed. What? Wife? Oh, yeah, this was his wife. Oh. And it's especially galling because she can't sing. Mm. And that's just, it's a, it's a minor gripe. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this movie. This yeah. freaking movie. So it takes yeah. a turn. So, okay. A plot point we should mention that they kind of try to set up is that the the little brother of like the two main kids uh has exactly one character trait and that's that he breaks everything. He breaks toys notoriously. Yeah. Like he broke she, yeah, like the nutcracker was the little girl's gift and then he immediately as soon as she's out of the room comes and like messes with it uh, in a way that breaks it. Yes. <laughs> like he's intentionally trying to break it even though he didn't intentionally try to break it. So that's like his one thing. So the Rat King played by John Totoro um, <laughs> is basically trying to be like, oh, you like to break toys? Well, same. So come into my come into my rat Nazi kingdom and you can break all the toys you want. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's where that movie turns and that's where like, you know, like I said, the, the little drummer boy breaking, like, the head off. Um, it's, yeah. It starts. The design for the Rat King is uh-huh. if Andy Warhol decided to be a fascist. It really is. It is that. It is that. It is. Yeah. Everything about the Rat King's design is atrocious. He's kind of a rat person in that they give yeah. him the teeth, and every so often they'll do that thing where they'll... Sw- where they'll CGI their mouths to look extra ratty and they'll like look more yes. ratty. The how I I definitely have a screenshot of that. <laughs> That's nightmare inducing shit right there. Mm-hmm. There's also the uh when the nutcracker turns into a real boy and that's alone is horrifying. Yeah. And uh then like the the rat queen like drinks this potion and her eyes get real Re- weird CG stretch, and then uh, and then he turns back into a toy. This is just uh, <laughs> like no, it's like, this... a, uh, like the mm-hmm. facial structures of the rats when they're in humanoid form remind me a lot of the live action Doctor Seuss films. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Because like yep. it's not. You compare that to like the Who's and how the Grinch stole Christmas, or the things from the Cat in the Hat, and <laughs> it, it, they're, they're cousins. Okay, they're cousins. They're, they are, and it, I know that that's the name of the characters, but it's just really funny. Here <laughs> you say the the things from <laughs> whatever well, I mean, they were. Yeah, and so 
going on on this movie. Yeah, the 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 designs are atrocious. The wig they put on Totoro is hysterical. Again, it's Andy Warhol. It's Andy Warhol, and my God, John Totoro is not the guy that you would cast for Andy Warhol. Um, I think for I think perennially, I always think that the best casting I ever saw was uh, Jared Harris uh, in uh, I Shot Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. I know I. Ca- I kind of liked Bill Hader and um, Bill Hader was uh, Men in Black Three. That was awesome. Men in Black Three, yes, it was awesome. And it also, it also kind of got to a, the idea that he was more conservative than he let on. Mm-hmm. That's that's actually doing some research there. That, that, yeah, because that, that was actually a little closer to the truth than people expected. Um, that's really funny. <laughs> that was that was, that was <laughs> but that was okay. Men in Black. All right, I want to point out how sad it is that we have to stop and go. You know, Men in Black Three is a much better movie than this, yes. but it is. It's a way better movie. That's actually it a good is. movie. That's actually a very good movie. <laughs> better and, portrayal of Andy Warhol than this. And and God, okay, now now I'm I'm not gonna be able to hold back. I can go off on Totoro, and I'm go gonna, right I'm going to have to go off on him as an actor in general. If that's okay, go ahead. He is. I firmly believe that the Big Lebowski broke his brain. I think making that movie convinced him that the more over the top he goes, the more ridiculous he goes, the better he is as an actor. And he is so wrong. Um, I want to point out to people that, yes, his career includes stuff like Barton Fink. It includes stuff like uh, Quiz Show. He is so good in Quiz Show. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Uh, oh, yeah. His collaborations with Spike Lee are phenomenal. Um, yeah, Lee has always gotten just incredible work out of him. You look at his stuff, and it's like The Color of Money, Again, Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, Miller's Crossing, Barton Fink. Yes, he's in Miller's Crossing, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. Quiz Show, Clockers, uh, Rounders, he got Game, again, Big Lebowski, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm. Uh, and then something happened to him as an actor. I mm-hmm. want to point out, he's in Monkey Bone. Mm. He is the title, he's the voice of the title character. I did not realize that. Yes, which was the start of him just making some decisions that was like, no, 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 dear God, someone rang you in. I, as I said, I think playing the Jesus broke him because you can draw a direct line between that and then Michael Bay going, okay, I want you to do that for me in Transformers. I want you to say... This line, we're bringing it back. Uh, John Tatara, notable actor. Uh, I think I still have that clip saved for when we quote it. Get it. it. I am directly below. Now, he's not a hopeless case. Um, I mentioned uh, in the last cast, he was great in the Batman, he was fantastic in that as a sleazy mob boss. He was fantastic. That's a great performance. he is giving everything he's got to it. And he's genuinely good in it. It's a good reminder that there is still a good actor in him. But he has the he has horrifying taste. And I firmly believe, by the way, that this movie is nothing more than the, the choices that he makes in this movie. I'm convinced that he went to Konchalovsky and was like, okay, I've got these ideas of things I want to do. And Konchalovsky went, okay, sounds good. Do it. That's what this movie feels like, is that he had these horrifying ideas and instead of being told no don't do that Konchalovsky went okay fine sounds good to me and he, he the voice he uses for this is in it's irritating 
the fact that he sings in this movie is, well, he technically sort of sings. I don't know. It's just, it's nothing but bad choices. He's atrocious in this movie. Just awful. I'd go for, so far as to say, I think this is one of the worst performances I've ever seen a major actor give. So, yeah. That. Um, I will say that what John Turturro did as Rat King is not entirely his fault. Again, it's Konchalovsky's. Yep. Again, because this was a passion project for 20 years, there, I've seen some of the concept art and what, you know, what could have been, which is obviously a hell of a lot better than what we got in the end. But like in some of the behind the scenes footage, like Turturro's a rather chill guy. Like the kids aren't afraid of him at all. They're, you know, like, okay. Then that makes me, then this makes me hate Konchalovsky, which yeah. admittedly I was already doing <laughs> because I had to watch this movie. Then that annoys me even worse. Like he and the kids have have a great rapport, you know, behind the camera, and so it's like, again, Tuturo is not entirely to blame for this his performance of the Rat King. It's you ever just think how fucking weird it is that you have this this concept of rats and Nazi imagery in a film. And when you think about it, mouse exists. Yes. I couldn't get yes. that out of my head. I didn't make that connection until just now, but yeah. Yeah, Art Spiegelman's mouse, uh, I mean, obviously did this a hell of a lot better. Oh, absolutely. Better. More no tastefully. Question. Yeah, tastefully. Mm -hmm. No question about it. It's just, why would you do it this way? I, uh, you know, and I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer because this movie does lean so hard on the Nazi imagery to the point that when I mentioned to my dad that I was going to be recording on this yesterday, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like, even he was aware of it. And it's because that choice is so bizarre. Like, they're not they're not providing any sort of commentary on it is the thing. It's like it's just they're it's, borrowing it. Yeah, as they're yeah, they're appropriating it for like this horrible, horrible like piece of humanity that happened and just dropping it into this thing for kids because the Nazis have become a stereotypical bad guy. We you know my dad when we were having a conversation about it, uh -huh. I mentioned that you can't use Nazi imagery lightly, and my dad said, Well what about springtime for Hitler? My immediate response to that was Mel Brooks was a bomb tech in World War II. Yes. Yeah, he was allowed to get away with it. And also, he had a point. Yes, he was making a point. <laughs> Again, the producers. We, we keep bringing it back to the producers and Nathan Lane. This is true. The original producers is a masterpiece. So, From his own words, like uh, he was tr also trying to uh, make Hitler's name a mockery. Yes. Uh, like a, a someone to be laughed at. Well done. Like I said, this movie seems like it should be so much fun to go into and to dissect, but it's just a lot of ugly trash to look at. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. It's just, it's just nasty. And it's depressing is what it is. And I, I don't get what the appeal of this movie is. I cannot imagine that somebody would for 20 years be this passionate about something 
like this. This is this is amazing to me that this was something that he was passionate about for 20 years. I can't believe it. Like, this is what he had in mind, unless... I don't know. Again, the concept art promised bigger and better things. And I believe uh, that. Yeah. I said that this looked like I could see all the money up on the screen. Thing is, $90 million ain't that much nowadays. Not really, no. (laughs) Like, don't look up what's made for less than that. And you could see the money on the screen, but at the same time... The thing is, (laughs) Konchalovsky isn't Guillermo del Toro, who famously works with movies. His, His budgets are almost always half of what you think they are based on what you're seeing. Because del Toro milks every dollar. I believe it. Yeah, Nightmare, yeah. Uh, Nightmare Alley remake was sixty million. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I think that's what's going to keep him working. By the way, is that he's cheap. Um, he works under budget. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth was about twenty-three million. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and that thing is a feast. Mm-hmm. Um, Hellboy Two was sixty million as well. Mm-hmm. And oh, God wow. damned it! God damn did it not look it. This <laughs> this doesn't even remotely look that good. I mean, admittedly, Konchalovsky isn't Guillermo del Toro. What can I say? I don't. I don't understand this movie. I don't. I don't understand this movie. Like, it's definitely part of the bad Christmas film canon for sure. I mean, everybody and their mother has covered Santa Claus conquers the Martians or Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny or. You, you know, it it's there. It's just one of the lesser entries. It's not as much fun as Santa's summer house. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Back house twistorama. What with the corporate culture? And we, we quote Santa's summer house here. I've never seen that one. <laughs> oh, you, uh, it is basically the um, thematic sequel to uh, A Talking Cat. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Same house. Yep. Oh, it's one of those. It's a Dakota. Oh, it's a total. Oh, it's the same writer, too. Same oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, okay. I need to get on this then. It's uh, There's riff tracks and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'll, I'll provide you the link if I can find it. But oh, yeah. Please do. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's good. Yeah. This is one of the lesser entries because when you look at the overall sub genre of Christmas films, there's a lot of them. And by and large, the vast majority of Christmas films out there, you're not going to remember at all. And the ones that have endured have done so for decades. If Elf is the last one that we're going by. It's and it's because Elf was one of those movies that it was perfectly formed. It didn't need time it just understood the form of what makes a great Christmas movie so immediately. I mean, there, there's a, I have a very fond memory of sitting in a theater that it was just me and my friends because we went to a very late showing. Like, literally, it was midnight showing. And we were laughing our asses off at it. This is not that. No. John Favreau knows film. Yeah, he is a decidedly better director than um, Konchalovsky. As long as he's directing humans, not CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are exceptions. We're not, we're not getting into that piece of shit. Yeah. I think every great director has at least one exception under their belt. 
Yeah. <laughs> but this movie is, and has Konchalovsky worked again after this movie? Yes. Yes, he has. I'm, I'm not shocked, but. And unsurprisingly, you've not heard of his work since then. It He's mostly done Russian films. So like 2013, he had the Royal Paint Box. Following year, the Postman's White Knight. His most recent work is uh, Dear Comrades, which uh, is a histor- Russian historical film. Good on him. Good on him. He's going to do what he does well. Yeah, which has gotten ninety five percent. And you know what? I'll bet the, I'll bet those movies are probably pretty good because he was good at this kind of thing. Like his past few films post nutcracker have gotten the silver lion and the special jury prize at venice so he's still doing work i'm actually glad to hear that he's gotten acclaim for his later stuff because this is because he's just not a family film director and that's okay but i think what this underlines for me and there's another point i want to make and i apologize if i'm rambling too much Mm, you're fine passion project passion projects are almost always passion projects because nobody wants to make them. If you have a good idea for a movie, you'll get it greenlit immediately. I mean, there are some projects that are passion projects that will unfortunately never see the light of day. Unfortunately. Speaking of Del yeah. Toro, I've read In the Mouth of Madness, or At the Mountains of Madness, In the Mouth of Madness is the Carpenter yeah. film, and it's great. But I've, <laughs> I've read At the Mountains of Madness. I, I still would like to see that movie. I'd like still love to see it. I would love to see David Lynch do Ronnie Rocket, but he said that it's not going to happen because the architecture has changed so much. Yeah, but those are guys that I get why those movies don't happen. Those are they're good scripts, but the world isn't set up to allow them. The world is not ready. <laughs> Though I still I still believe in the next five years, Del Toro will will get. He he's gonna get mountains made. It's going to happen. I firmly believe that. This is uh, no. This is I, this is just one of those cases for which it's like. I think the reason that this kind of passion project annoys me is because it makes sense on paper that this would get made, and then that it doesn't should be assigned to you. I don't know. This is just this is not good. I just I'm out of things to say about this movie. I've, I'm out of carrots. I'm out of sticks. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. It's we've sat on this long enough. We've gotten it out of our system, and it's time for something good. Zephyr, take us take us into what's next. Tell me something good. Yes, something good. Okay. Something good at last. <laughs> We're finally going to be taking a look into the Pope of Filth himself, John Waters, and his most accessible film to date, Hairspray. Yay! Hairspray. Yes. One, I've, one of his I've seen. Yes. A truly joyous, happy, lovely, sweet film about the virtues of diversity. Uh, starring uh, the queen of talk shows, Ricky Lake. I can't wait to get to this one. This is going to be a happy movie, and we can't wait to do it. So, y'all, that's next yeah. time. Albert, take us away with the... Okay, so you can find us at... Theomniplex.org, our, your, our number one destination, and also yours, should be. 
then you can email us, uh, the Omniplex Podcast at gmail.com. Please send us show suggestions, love, all that good stuff, comments, uh, things we got right, things we got wrong. Facebook us, facebook.com slash the Omniplex. Twitter at the Omniplex. I think that's all our things. Uh, one thing I do want to mention is our new theme song is Glasses by Jonathan Colton and is licensed under Creative Commons. Yes, created a uh, cr- non attribution, non commercial 3.0 Creative Commons license. Uh, all the attributions can be found on our blog. Want to thank want to thank Jonathan Colton for his wonderful Creative Commons licenses. It's a great song. The reason I chose it, it's it's about marriage, but at the same time, it's also about time passing. And I feel like that's a good like themat like thematic fit. <laughs> Plus, we all wear glasses, so hey. And it and it rips and it's awesome. Anyway, well, we'll be back to cover hairspray whenever we get to it. At, at this point, I, I don't think we can make definite promises because I mean, life uh, finds a way. Life finds a way to screw <laughs> you over. Yes, it does. See what you did there. Yes. See y'all later. Oh my. See you later, boy. Boy. So much to say. recognize him anywhere so he's alive and he's dancing with the blonde we gotta go tell the king let's get out of here as for the music it's terrible <laughs>